This is the Case Dot Report. My name is Callum Swift, and I'm delighted today to be speaking to Dr. Mai Nguyen, a consultant in emergency medicine at Universal Hospital Limerick, echo guided life support instructor, and all round ultrasound educator. We're going to be looking at the use of EFAST in blunt and penetrating trauma, an absolutely key emergency medicine skill. And this is following on from last week's episode uh, on blunt abdominal trauma with Dr. Sean Crowen. That was an absolutely fantastic episode where he took us through a masterclass of trauma management. Everything from interpreting vital signs and derived vital signs, wide pulse pressures, use of base excess and VBG interpretation, TXA, massive transfusion protocols, balanced uh, transfusions, use of fibrinogen, permissive hypotension, TEG and ROTEM guided resuscitation, vasopressors in trauma, uh, IV access and difficult IV access options and hollow viscous injuries. So huge amount to learn from that. Give it a listen. Um, but without any further ado, I welcome Dr. Mai Newman. Hi, Callum. Thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, pleasure to have you on. And we've got a really great case of blunt abdominal trauma um, with a seatbelt sign presenting to a district uh, hospital kind of out of hours that classic uh, situation where um, you you know want to know what's going on with the patient, but you've got a little bit of a delay for getting CT scans um, because the team's not ready to go straight away. So just wanted to ask your approach in using an eFAST um, as part of your clinical assessments of the, pen- of the blunt trauma patient. Great, thanks. So yeah, the fact that this case take- takes place in a district hospital kind of even more... Um, um, solidifies the importance of ultrasound in clinical practice because CT isn't necessarily readily available in all hospitals. So this is where ultrasound really comes into play. So with blunt abdominal trauma, it can be oftentimes tricky because although intraperitoneal bleeding can be common um, in a patient who is otherwise hemodynamic hemodynamically stable findings can be initially hard to find um, but of course we're, we use this skill as part as uh, as part of our ATLS and it should happen simultaneously in the primary um, assessment um, so while someone is getting monitoring on getting you know IV cannulas um, and assessing your ABCs someone can also simultaneously do EFAST as well um, which is incredibly handy because we can find potentially life-threatening reversible causes as we go through the protocol. There's kind of a lot of different strategies to go through it. Um, um, certainly, I, I definitely think we need minimally eight windows. Um, so the EFAS has been a really good um, extension of the original FAST to include outruling pneumothorax, um, certainly because that is something that can um, be uh, um, reversible. Um, at the bedside. So um, I, as we know, the um, the test is variable sensitivity, but has very, very high specificity, which I know you're going to go into a little bit later. Um, but I think that technique, it's, it's, it's incredibly um, user and operator dependent. And so that's why uh, ongoing scanning and training is really important for you to really improve the skill. Um, so I suppose what I would do is I would start off in the right upper quadrant and usually I use minimally two windows. Um, a lot of trainees go ahead and everyone knows about Morrison's pouch, but oftentimes you forget about all the other windows that can be found, um, in this very important area. So scanning, um, 
supra and infra diaphragmatic space um, down towards the lower tip of the uh, kidney is really, really important because those are all areas of potential uh, blood collection. Um, and in fact, the caudal tip of the liver is the uh, most sensitive area in terms of picking up intraperitoneal blood um, and not necessarily Morrison's pouch. And oftentimes we forget that. Um, if we're kind of comparing the left side, left upper quadrant, the most um, vulnerable space for intraperitoneal bleed is the supra uh, splenic area. So if you're only scanning the splenorenal recess and not going as high as to your diaphragm, you can actually be potentially missing a lot of um, areas as well there. So that's how I would start anyway for the right upper quadrant and left upper quadrant is scanning all the way up above the diaphragm and down to the lower pole of the kidney and making sure that your probe is pointing posteriorly because as we know blood and fluid is a, is a dependent fluid and is going to um, sink back in a supine patient. Um, we talk about the pelvis um, again there needs to be a good bit of fluid in order for it to be usually picked up on ultrasound. I usually start off in the sagittal uh, plane um, and making sure that I look specifically at my pouch of Douglas in females, which the space behind the or posterior to the uterus and in front of the gut or in, in the male, the vesicocolic space. So just um, below the uh, bladder. So those are usually not really picked up until about 200 mils of blood loss. Um, so that's something to be cognizant of as well. Um, and if we're moving on to the cardiac window, this uh, xiphosternal um, angle, um, it's really important that, and like, as we all know, if we've kind of done these scans enough, is that the... That window can be oftentimes really, really hard to get, especially in a non-fasting patient, someone with a lot of adipose tissue, a lot of air, someone who has been, um, you know, intubated or given um, extra breaths. And there's going, you know, there's going to be a lot of air in the stomach and that causes a problem in terms of getting a good uh, sub-xiphoid view. So it's really important to be able to get a second cardiac window um, my go-to is usually the peristernal long access, long, long axis. Um, so just make sure that you're able to really get two good views of cardiac because, you know, ultimately in a trauma patient, one of those windows is going to fail you. My tips for cardiac is that you really want to get, um, to increase your depth here. You want to be able to see on the post posterior aspect of the heart um, because fluid, it might appear like they have a pericardial fusion, on the superior anterior surface, but it very well could be just pericardial fat. So if there is an effusion or a tamponade, that fluid should be concentric around the heart. So just make sure you get a deep enough view. Um, so those are kind of the tips for cardiac. Um, the last part, and sometimes you can actually do the lung windows first, is for pneumothorax. Um, just make sure that you have the most anterior aspect um, on the chest because air rises. Um, look for your rib shadows, look for the lung sliding, um, use your M mode to see if there's a seashore sign or a barcode sign. Um, but one thing that's really important um, is that 
lack of lung sliding doesn't necessarily mean that it's a pneumothorax. It could be just apnea or lack of ventilation or mainstem um, intubation. So just make sure that your clinical exam is also correlating with your ultrasound findings as well. So yeah, that's kind of what I have to say briefly, I suppose, about EFAS, Callum. Super, there's amazing pearls there. And I really like what you said about um, incorporating the EFAS into your primary survey. So it's it's an extension of your clinical exam rather than a distinct diagnostic test like a CT is. Um, and when you think about it like that, it uh, makes more sense with the rule in. So you're... You know, for example, you have a very sick patient who needs to be intubated, but they've also had chest trauma and you don't want to intubate someone with a pneumothorax. So you're trying to see if they have a pneumothorax. And in some trauma systems where I worked in Plymouth, everyone was wearing lead and the X-ray was on a on a ceiling gurney. So it could be done in the first few minutes. Um, we don't have that in many Irish hospitals. So there's usually a delay in getting the portable chest X-ray and then everyone has to leave the room because of the radiation. So it's not that practical to rely on a chest X-ray in a very crashing patient. So, you know, you can listen to the chest and you can oscillate, but um, often uh, and palpate, but often those are, you know, quite difficult in a busy trauma environment. So any information, um, additional information you can get is really beneficial. And similarly, um, you know, when you're looking at pericardial fusion, if you have a peri-arrest trauma patient, um, it's a hugely important piece of information to know why they're about to arrest because your management and your decision around massive transfusion or thoracotomy or thoracostomies is influenced by where they're bleeding into or what the etiology is. So it's a really quick part of your primary survey. And I think, and as you said, a kind of a central part of your primary survey um, to help guide your immediate management rather than a definitive diagnostic test to rule out um, kind of small pathologies or even big pathologies. And if you if you approach it like that, then it um, it's really safe to use. Um, but if you start uh, ruling out stuff, then you'll get into trouble. And, you know, an example of that, mm-hmm. um, I've seen, you know, someone bleed so much that they, they went into um, a rare cardiac arrest and had a thoracotomy and had a massive transfusion. I think there was 10 units of blood given and eventually um, the arrest was called and the post-mortem showed and the, the serial fast scans were negative for any free fluid um, and the post-mortem showed a completely transected renal artery and a massive hemorrhage into the retroperitoneal space um, which can be tricky to see on on EFAS so um, you're, you're ruling stuff in not ruling it out and um, if you keep to that mantra then um, then it's super safe um, and they, that's reflected. Exactly. So, sorry. No, you just made some really good points there. Um, you know, um, EFAST is very poor at picking up retroperitoneal bleed. Um, also, kind of bowel perforations and some kind of organ specific injuries as well. So, in blunt abdominal trauma, um, if the patient is hemodynamically stable, serial exams are vital because the findings may be negative initially because they haven't quite manifested themselves um so it is really important for us to revisit the 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 scan or um the test if we have time you know if we don't have um direct access to ct um you made a really good point as well that it's not ultrasound isn't replacing our x-rays it's not replacing our cts but what we do know several studies have shown that um for chest x-rays that um that 
ultrasound is, is far more uh, sensitive and specific at picking pneumothoraxes and hemothoraxes than your chest x-ray and that's mainly due to the amount of fluid that needs to be present on a chest x-ray for it to be detectable so i think on average roughly about 200 mils of pleural fluid need to be required before detectable on a plain x-ray versus only 20 mils on an ultrasound um, not to mention the time frame as well so it could take you about a minute to do an ultrasound versus 15 minutes again if you don't have the access to lead and portable uh, functionality um, so you know time really is of the essence when it comes to the chest yeah and that was that was um echoed when i did my trauma fellowship in cape town uh, with a lot of penetrating chest trauma and uh, very difficult access even to chest x-rays um it was just an immediate um lung ultrasound and if you saw a big uh, or any pleural effusion or hemothorax then you put the chest drain in if there was no lung sliding in an otherwise healthy patient who had clinical signs of pneumothorax and a penetrating chest injury you would put the chest drain in um, obviously if they were unstable it's super important to know if there's a pericardial effusion because um, that's going to you know influence the kind of size of team you need and you're planning around what's going to happen if they do arrest in terms of a thoracotomy um, whereas if there was no pericardial effusion then you can kind of relax a little bit more um, put the chest drain in and be fairly reassured that you can fix the problem with that um, so it's a incredibly useful test and I think you know we've been talking a lot about the chest stuff and that's definitely been my feeling and I think international consensus is it was originally developed for the abdominal components and and that part's getting less and less useful in a world where we have increasing access to CT so um, most of these patients with a significant mechanism and or deranged physiology they're getting a CT of their abdomen at least um, and so we're you know we're not necessarily um, changing management by doing the EFAS we were going to do the CT anyway what it where it does change management is um, in the really unstable patients where as I said knowing where they're bleeding into influences which surgical specialties are need to be involved and influences their disposition so knowing someone who's uh, very hypotensive in trauma has a belly full of fluid or blood um makes them you know one one type of management whereas knowing they have a chest full of blood is a different type of uh, management and disposition so it helps guide our, our disposition it helps guide our management it helps guide which specialties to get involved it helps guide how quickly to get them involved you know if i had a this a blunt trauma patient with a, a belly full of blood i would be getting a senior surgical um member of the team to be there immediately and to be guiding their their um path to theater um so it's it's and then the the chest component and the pericardial component the e components are the kind of newer additions and they're the ones that i think has the the most value yeah so yeah so helen when you're in um south africa i'm sure i'm sure you saw a lot of penetrating chest injuries and um there has been stark evidence to support that ultrasound reduces mortality in patients with penetrating cardiac injuries um and again you know that's one of our windows where we're looking for pericardial effusion but oftentimes what happens is if you do get um penetrating injury to the pericardium due to the pressure system of the heart it will actually kind of close off and seal um and and, and seal the i suppose the the hole and the pericardial effusion will actually kind of stay at bay but what will happen 
I suppose sometimes over time is it will slowly leak and as we know it doesn't require a lot of volume um for one for one to tip in from uh, a pericardial effusion to tamponade so again if there's any quite sort of penetrating chest injuries that are in and around the heart um it's important to do serial um ultrasounds as well um because again uh, ct is only kind of a picture in time um, and that might only that might represent a, a relatively stable pericardial effusion but that might actually progress um as if you fast forward time so just kind of to be aware of that as well absolutely and we'll, we'll circle back to that that's a great phrase picture in time for a ct because the, the case we've just discussed um was that that was very relevant so i'll come back to that in a sec but i just want to mention a systematic review and meta-analysis of the the diagnostic characteristics of efast um published by Netherton et al., which we'll link in the show notes. Um, so it's got pooled sensitivity and specificity and positive likelihood ratios and negative likelihood ratios for all the main um, modalities of EFAST. Um, and it's just reinforcing what we're saying. So for the pericardial effusion, um, the, the pooled uh, specificity is 94% and the pooled sensitivity is 91%. So um, very high diagnostic accuracy, um, you know, infinitely higher than auscultating for muffled heart sounds or seeing small QRS complexes or the traditional ways of diagnosing this. Um, And similarly, um, the specificity for um, pneumothorax is pooled specificity is 99% and pooled sensitivity is um, 69%. So um, it's not 100% specificity. So as you say, there are other reasons why someone could have absent lung sliding. Um, but in the context of trauma, in the right clinical setting, if you're suspecting a pneumothorax clinically and then you don't see lung sliding and the patient is in respiratory distress or hemodynamic distress, um, then you doing a, a preemptive um, thoracostomy or chest drain is a, is a right thing to do in that setting. Um, and bearing in mind, you, you might miss small pneumothoraces and do get that chest x-ray and do get that CT if you're if you're worried, but taking a patient along journey time to CT who has an evolving pneumothorax or intubating a patient who has an undiagnosed pneumothorax is a, is a really bad idea. So doing that fast as part of it. And then the last thing was the abdominal components and again, specificity, pooled specificity of 0.98, so 98%. Um, with a positive likelihood ratio of 25. So if you see free fluids in the abdomen in the context of trauma, um, it's almost certainly, uh, you're almost certainly right. Um, It can't be much else and it's usually blood. Um, And the sensitivity then is 74%. So it'll pick up most free fluids in the abdomen, but not all of them. So um, coming back to what you're saying about serial exam, there there is some data I'm aware of that shows the benefit of re-examining the patient with ultrasound and with clinical exam. The, the surgeons in South Africa um, for penetrating abdominal injuries often didn't CT them. They just admitted them for serial um, abdo observations. They called them a bit like neuro-obs. Um, and their, their experience with the high volume of trauma patients there was that um, uh, just re-examining the patients and assessing for evolving pathology is a, is a good way to go. And certainly the case that we discussed in the first part of this podcast was... Uh, Blunt um, abdominal trauma with seatbelt sign, but CT initially showing no kind of trace-free fluid in the abdomen and a little bit of edema around one of the bowel loops. Um, So no major findings, but um, uh, then turned into an evolving peritonitis and and, um, bowel perforation. So 
that would be the perfect case to um, revisit with an ultrasounds when the patient's back from CT and everything's settled down and see if there's a change from your initial finding. Um, and that would help guide your, your decision and your surgical decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to go back to basics as well. Like in that particular case, you know, certainly if it was evolving, you know, ruptured viscous, hollow viscous, you know, their vital signs are going to mimic that type of instability as well. So just make sure that you're paying attention to the vital signs, blood pressure, heart rate, um, lactate as well. Serial lactates might be necessary in that uh, scenario. Um, as well as just serial kind of clinical exam, you know, because that abdomen might become rigid over time. So hopefully that patient still isn't in your resus at that stage, but they very well might be. Um, and it's important to to continually um, monitor them. Super. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was really great to chat to you. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, having me. And hopefully um, listeners out there have picked up a few little pearls that's it for this episode from the case dot report until next time may your coffee be strong and your rounds be grand tcr 